Good morning. Good morning. Jesus said in John 10.10, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And that's what we're experiencing this morning, isn't it? The abundant life we have in Christ. Well, this year has passed so quickly in many ways and so slowly in others. Um, it's hard to believe that we're less than two weeks away from 2023. We've all had many challenges and changes, um, hopes and joys, some sadness, uh, but all with thankful hearts to God that He never changes. Circumstances change, but He never does. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He's our rock and our salvation. He's our refuge, our comfort, our strength. He is our ever-present help in times of need. He hears us. He sees us. He knows us. He understands us. What a God we serve. In the past three Sundays and now this morning, we've had messages shared by different members of the fellowship as we've observed the season of Advent. Julie shared on peace. Jessica shared a message on hope. Cecil shared about joy, and Pat this morning shared about perfect love. I thought it might be an encouraging message, and it'll be a short one compared to others. Um, it might be encouraging this morning to share a message about the origins of that Advent uh, celebration and the meaning that this observation encompasses. To perhaps put a bow, if you will, uh, on top of the past few weeks of celebration and worship as we prepare to celebrate next weekend with our families, Christmas Day. Of course, the focus of Advent and of Christmas Day is Jesus, the coming of the Son of God, our Savior, our sin-bearer, our Lord and coming King. For centuries, God had prepared His people for the coming of His Son, the only way to relationship with the Father. We're a people of promise. And all the promises of God are rooted and found in His Son, Jesus. The Latin word for Advent is Adventus, which literally means coming. The message this morning is, if I entitled it anything, it would be the coming. It's the translation of the Greek word, which is parousia, which is a word that's used both for Christ's coming and his second coming. It's both a present presence and a coming presence. The Oxford Languages Dictionary notes that the meaning of the noun advent is the anticipation of the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Now, we don't know when Advent first started. It's assumed in the 3rd or 4th century. Author Ryan Reeves has noted that during that period for the first two weeks of Advent, the church would reflect on the second coming. It seems backwards, but the first two weeks they, they celebrated and focused on the second coming. Disciples would chasten their hearts and confess sins and spend time hoping for the quick coming, the quick return of the Lord. 
And then the last two weeks of Advent would then transition to focus on the first parousia, Christ in the manger. <coughs> Traditionally, in our lifetime, we celebrate, celebrate Advent looking forward to Christmas Day as we celebrate the coming of Christ as a baby to become the suffering Savior for all whom he calls to newness in life in him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the sins of his people who receive him. There's no other name in heaven and on earth by which men may be saved, but by the name of Jesus. He is the propitiation, the appeasement to a just and loving God for the sins of his people. But Advent is more than the reflection on the birth of Christ. It's also a looking forward to the second coming of Christ when he will come as King of Kings and Lord of Lords to reign and rule for eternity. So Advent is both remembering the birth of Christ and looking forward to his second coming to rule and reign. But there's a third aspect of Advent that I want us to reflect on this morning. Advent is also a time for reflection on the life that we are to live in Christ between his birth and his coming again. To elaborate a little bit more on this, as believers in Christ who strive to follow his voice through his inspired word and by his Holy Spirit, we celebrate and welcome his coming in three distinct instances. First, as I noted earlier, we're culminating today the four weeks of Advent, preparing our hearts as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus as a baby, born to the Virgin Mary, wrapped in swaddling cloth, and laid in a manger, or fatne, which is a Greek word which means stall. These were feeding stalls for the animals. So Jesus is born in a stall and placed in a feeding trough for the animals. It's an amazing scene to consider. Set in the little town of Bethlehem, where Joseph and Mary have traveled to comply with the government census, finding no room in the inn, they found shelter in a place where the animals are kept. Some believe this was a stable, others a cave. But whichever, it's hard to imagine a more humble accommodation for the arrival of the Son of God. Parenthetically, let me add, humility is an attribute of God that we don't talk about enough and highlight enough. It's almost unfathomable to our feeble minds to conceive that the God of the universe, the creator of all things, would humble himself to the form of a man, much less that he would reveal himself in such simple circumstances as these. The humility of Christ reminds me of Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That night in that small, seemingly insignificant stable in Bethlehem, the arrival of the most important child in the history of the world was acknowledged by a handful of shepherds, three foreign magi or wise men, and a multitude of the heavenly host. And the scripture says Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. I imagine she did. (laughs) What an amazing event. In preparing this message this morning, I came across some interesting background information on those shepherds who were watching their flocks that night and who they may have been. And we traditionally assume that they were humble, illiterate men and boys. But some theorize that these may have been Levitical shepherd priests who were watching over firstborn sacrificial lambs in the fields that night as a part of their temple duties. The prophecy found in Micah 4, 8 and 5, 2 gives some credence to this thought. Micah 4, 8 reads, As for you, tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you it will come. Even the former dominion will come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. And Micah 5, 2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem, Ephathra, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. So Bethlehem is the prophesied birthplace of the Messiah, Jesus. It's also where King David was born. And these are possibly the same fields where he watched his father's sheep. The tower of the flock refers to where Rachel was buried when she died after giving birth to Benjamin and where Jacob put up a pillar on her grave as we read in Genesis 35. Rachel was a shepherdess. These may be the same fields where she watched over her flock. The Hebrew phrase for tower of the flock is Migdal Eder. The Messiah was to be born near Bethlehem, near the tower of the flock, Migdal Eder. Micah 5, 3 through 4 continues, Therefore he will give them up until the time when she who is in labor has born a child. Then the remainder of his brethren will return to the sons of Israel, and he will arise and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will remain because at that time he will be great to the ends of the earth. The shepherd who will arise and shepherd his flock, Jesus, and whom Israel will return. Well, this brings us back to the shepherds in the field watching their flocks on the night when Christ was born in Bethlehem, near Migdal Eder, the tower of the flock. 
If the shepherds mentioned in Luke 2.8 were priestly shepherds, it would explain how they knew exactly where to find the baby. Their task was to protect and care for the sacrificial lambs. When a lamb without blemish was born in their care, they would clean and wrap it in swaddling cloth and place it in a manger to keep it from being injured or blemished. The angel that appeared to the shepherds said, as recorded in Luke 2.12, This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. If these were Levitical shepherd priests, they understood the significance of this, and they knew where to look for him. They would know to go to the cave or stable where the sacrificial lambs are kept when born. Donna Snow of Artesian Ministries notes, So when the amazed shepherds, recorded in Luke 2, hurried to see the great wonder that the heavenly host proclaimed, they arrived to gaze upon a baby born in the place where Passover lambs were born, swaddled like a Passover lamb. The angel had told them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight away to Bethlehem then and see this thing which has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. There they found the Lamb of God wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger, just as they had been told. What they witnessed with their eyes and heard from the angel, they made known, and all who heard it wondered at the things the shepherds had told them. We obviously have the benefit of hindsight to understand what took place that night. We have the record of the Word of God of the man Jesus would become, the ministry and miracles he would perform and demonstrate, and the life-giving words he would speak to the world. We have the written record of our Savior's betrayal, his crucifixion, his death, his burial, and after three days, his glorious resurrection from the dead, his appearance to many witnesses, and his ascension to the right hand of the Father. We have the Word of God, 66 books written over a period of 2,000 years by approximately 40 authors on three continents who foretold the coming of the Christ in the Old Testament, who walked with him in the Gospels, who believed in him and served in building his church in the remaining portions of the New Testament, and who foretold of his coming again as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. During Advent, we look not only to his coming as a baby, but also his second coming as king. And then there's a third advent, a third coming in between these two that we also recognize and give thanks for. It's the coming of Christ into the heart of the believer. We celebrate that too, don't we? If he had not called me to himself, wooed me and convicted me of my sin by the Holy Spirit and transformed my heart through faith, what hope would his birth have given me? 
What anticipation of His coming again. It's the unfathomable grace of God that comes into the life of one dead in sin and trespasses and raises them to new life in Christ. Jesus says, come, follow me, and we're never the same. We look on what transpired in the little town of Bethlehem with new eyes and thankful, all-filled hearts. And we anxiously await his coming again to take us where he is, to be forever in his presence. I like the way Paul describes this in 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty through 58, when he says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the last trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on imperishable. This mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. His coming or advent in Bethlehem would mean little to me if I had not received him, if he had not arrived in my heart to reconcile me to himself. And in so doing, he's given you an eye the reconciled, a ministry of reconciliation, that we might share this good news with all who will listen, just as the shepherds did, greatly rejoicing at all God has revealed to us in Christ. He came into the world to to make a way to the Father, to provide a way of salvation. He comes into our hearts to establish that relationship with himself and to prepare us for his coming again to take us home. Advent is about waiting. It's about preparing. It's about longing. It's about listening to the voice of God to speak to us through the scriptures and through the Holy Spirit. And often that voice is a whisper that requires drawing closer to him to hear it. Advent encompasses all three aspects of Christ's coming. He came for us. He came to us. He will come again. What a God do we serve? I thought it would be appropriate since this is our last gathering before Christmas Day to read the Christmas story. Of course, we've already seen it. Uh, But do you mind if I read it one more time? If you'd like to um, close your eyes for a moment and try to envision, image, imagine that hillside and that stable. Ponder these words with me. 
Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken in all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with a child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then, and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph, and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about the child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told by them, by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that he had heard and seen, just as he had been, had been told them. Thanks be to God for the gift of his son. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning for this opportunity to reflect on the birth of Christ, the miraculous uh, arrival in such humble in meager places, uh, seen uh, surroundings, that you, the Lord of the universe, the King of kings, Lord of lords, would come into the world as a helpless child and be born in the place where animals are fed. At the same time, Lord, we thank you for the incredible image that you were wrapped in swaddling cloth and placed in a manger as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. We thank you for your coming as a child. We thank you for your coming to each of us in this room in our hearts. If there's someone here this morning that has not received you as Savior to take away their sins, I pray that your Spirit would speak truth to them in this moment. Jesus loves you. This I know because the Bible tells me so. It's that simple. If we believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths, 
that Jesus is Lord. You give us new life. There's a new creation. Apart from you, Jesus, we are dead in sin and trespasses, and we have no hope in the next life, much less this. But I thank you that because of Jesus, because of his coming as a child, his life as a man who lived without sin, his humility, even to death on a cross, Because of Jesus, we have new life in Him. We have been reconciled to the Father. Our sins are forgiven. We're made new. I pray that we all know that this morning, but that's a reality for each heart here. And we rejoice in in Your coming in our hearts. And it's with anticipation, Lord Jesus, that we look forward to Your coming again. We thank you for this glorious gospel. Like the shepherds this morning, we're we're amazed and may we go forth and share that amazement with the world. These are good tidings of great joy. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us, for being that perfect love, that perfect friend. I thank you that you cast out fear in us. When we submit our lives to you, Lord Jesus, you give us a peace that the world cannot comprehend. A peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, for our anxious moments and those times when perhaps faith is waning, I thank you that you're not finished with us. You've promised to never leave us nor forsake us. That lo, even until the end of the age that you are with us. We cling to these promises. We cling to your words of life. Where else would we go to find life? Only in you, Jesus. We bless you. We worship you this morning. We thank you for the fullness of life in you. Because you came that we might have life and that we might have it to the full. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.